From the movie house to your widescreen at home, Radio 111's Going to the Cinema and the streaming services on Flicks and Picks with Brian Mendoza. So grab your popcorn and beverage of choice and step into our screening room for our weekly forum on film. Now, here's Brian. Hey, welcome back to Flicks and Picks. I'm always so glad to be here on Radio 111. And so oh, we have had quite a week. Well, I've had quite a week trying to find a lot of great content to talk about. Of course, you know, James Bond is on the big screen, but you know what? We're not talking about that. I mean, I'm going to talk about it later, but nobody's talking about that film because everybody else in the world has been talking about Squid Game. And so, you know, seeing the popularity of Squid Game, I'm sitting there thinking, I got to watch Squid Game. But that's going to be the first thing we're going to talk about, along with the fact that the IATSE, the ATSE, or sometimes they call it ATSE, but I, I, I never hear it. Like, I never hear it often enough to know if they do call it ATSE. The, um, they are going on strike. So we're going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about the Friday the 13th lawsuit very briefly. Got resolved uh, last week. I know a lot of these news stories are a little bit um, older, but you know what? It It's still something we got to think about because of the larger context of what a lawsuit could be for like Friday the 13th. So we're going to talk about that. And we're also going to talk about a very curious casting decision that i'm very happy about but we'll save that for later because i'm going to review not only squid game but we're also going to talk about uh the new james bond movie very briefly and a tv show that ties into that curious uh casting decision so just hold on to that but first let's talk about squid game so squid game for those of you who don't know is a show on netflix that has aired so far just one season I think it might air a second season just because of the popularity, but you never know. The one season that it's about is it's a Korean drama and it's a show about a group of people who are in debt, who basically owe money to somebody. They are people who honestly just have been living terrible lives because they owe a lot of debt. And so they get all roped into this survivor game, this game where they, if they don't win all six games, they die. And it's, it's, it's insane. It quite is. And for the most part, we follow one character, Jing Han, who goes, who is a character who is a chauffeur. He's a gambling addict and he lives with his mother and he is financially supported. And he's trying really hard to financially support his daughter. But unfortunately, he has to get roped into the game in order to solve his debts or else he's going to lose his organs. So no matter what, he's going to lose something in the end. And there's also characters like uh, Sang Woo, who is the head of an investment team at a securities company. He is a he was a gifted student at Seoul National University. And again, I again, I apologize to anybody who might be thinking, oh, he's butchering the names. But I'm I'm just trying more or less. I'm trying to remember how to pronounce them Um, again. I'm not my um, uh, uh, my primary language is English. And of course, I speak Spanish too, but I can't. I don't know Korean at all, to be honest with you. 
but you know, I try, I try. Give me the benefit of the doubt there. But now he's wanted for the police. This character specifically, he's wanted for the police for stealing money. And then we see other characters like uh, Zhang Ho, who is a character who is a police officer that's investigating the games, trying to figure out what's going on. Like, hmm. He has his own subplot, and another subplot is Saint Bjork, who is a North Korean defector who needs to play the game in order to play a broker to find and retrieve her surviving members from North Korea. And there's just so many, so many great characters in this story that there's so many subplots that I just got to say that first, like the writing is very intricate. Like you just get invested. There's so much going on. Like not only are you hearing more and more about who the the uh, characters are but the villains who are the uh, game conspirators like the people who play the game specific who set up the game and everything they are very fascinating characters and you get to know more and more about them and I think that's really wonderful and I also think that the best subplots tend to be the ones where um, uh, tend to be the ones where I feel the most emotionally invested, but the ones that I, the characters I just named, those are the ones I'm really invested in. Those ones um, really stand out in terms of like where they go, and ultimately maybe they don't end the way I want them to. We'll talk about that in just a moment because I'm not going to spoil the ending, but let's just say the ending isn't the strongest one. So I will say for the most part, the beginning and middle of most of these subplots fantastic and they all feel like every twist and turn leads into something new for the most part for the most part not the the final twist isn't great but i do want to say that for it seems like this story is mostly a series of subplots that make up a whole plot about a group of people who are stuck trying to survive not only a game but also trying to pay off their debts so you know you have a very complex web of characters and their lives it's sort of like a game of thrones in that sense a little bit just a little bit i think that the thing is that something like game of thrones has ultimately a goal in mind and i think squid game could be said to that too like ultimately both of them are about characters who try to achieve the who try to win at the end game of thrones it's like winning the iron throne in this case squid game it's about winning that prize money and I gotta say that this show really takes a lot of risks. Like, I think by episode six, you really start to see that this show holds no bars anymore. Like, I appreciate that. I think I really think it's a really smart television series. And I just, I really enjoyed it. I, I was I was blown away by how good it was. And, you know, people have been saying that, that have been talking about this show for a, a while now and it certainly deserves to be number one i can see why it's number one because not only does it speak to you as someone who wants to be entertained by a show but it also talks a lot about issues like capitalism in a way that's very intelligent now of course the whole idea of a group of people having to survive a game in order to win some sort of prize money at the end or to be able to prove a point like hunger games and battle royale it's not super original in that sense, but I like the fact that Squid Game has adult characters playing in it and you feel like there is a reality to it. Like the sad thing is that there are places like this in the world, maybe not directly, but there are things you have to do in the real world that ultimately could put you at risk of death just to pay off some debt. Like if you want to pay off some debt in the US, 
there are certain things that unfortunately you have to do in order that may get you killed and that's not great and i think that a lot of times people feel really desperate for money and i know that that's a bit of a tangent but that's why the movie that's why the, this this series is impactful because a lot of people feel like they can relate to these characters they can feel like wow like would i really participate in these games is my life any better than these people playing this game would my odds really be better than that and i think that to an- to have those types of conversations it's important it's really important to have these types of conversations on um on television and for people to really just sort of examine their lives through that lens and i think squid game allows people to sort of live in this realm where they sort of examine what's going on in their lives and society and i think the lessons we learn from movies like squid game where we start to think you know, we really shouldn't have to put poor people through a horrible situation in order for them to get out of it. You know, these are lessons that I think we should take to try to make a better society and not just to make great movies with. And I'm, I'm really happy with it. And as for the acting of the series, you know, message and writing aside, I think it's great overall. Great actors. Lee Jong-jae, who plays the main character, Jiang Hoon, he is wonderful wonderful actor he really does deliver the parts really well he goes from playing this like every man to being a more complex character by the end so you start to really like him and you like him even when he is flawed and i think that is just such a wonderful note for him to play and i love park hengsu who plays shang wu i like the fact that he you know has some darkness there and i like the fact that there's like this ability to see this character is likable but also very dark, but also complex. There's a complexity there. And of course, I'm not going to spoil anything, but I like the fact that each character here has is likable for the most part, not so much the obvious villain who is um, played by uh, Heo Jong-tae, who plays Dexu, who is this gangster. Like, he's an obvious villain, but I love the fact that even then, you can kind of see why a group of people would navigate towards him. I like the fact that each actor plays their character as likable in spite of the fact that they have to do bad things or they might have to do things that ultimately get others killed. And I think that that's actually a really very fine line to walk as an actor and i'm glad that they do that and i think another person i have to highlight is oh young su who plays oh Nima- il nam who plays this older man and it, it that performance is really wonderful I, I love the fact that in in south korea they really do get actual older actors who are experienced but also like they actually look like older actors i don't know how to put this but like i like the fact that this cast is very like you know they're attractive people everybody but they're not unattainably attractive i like the fact that they look like your average everyday people and i think that a lot of people who watch this show and are pretty number one they feel like they can relate more to the characters if they don't look like a jennifer lawrence or if they don't look like uh like you know like like a supermodel i like the fact that these characters look like your average everyday person walking down the street and i love that um i do want to say though there's one critique i have about the show is i think that the ending could be better i think this is one of the few times where so much is revealed and so much happens so many subplots that i feel like they left a lot of uh things um hanging loose loose too many loose ends for a potential season two and i'm not a fan of that like i feel like if you got a really strong first season you need to conclude it in a way that 
is strong on its own, especially since the creator of the show has stated that he doesn't plan. He's not sure about his plans for season two. I feel like if you're not sure about it, you know, you you need to end your season one in a way that feels satisfactory and not feel like a cliffhanger slash want to be ending. Like, I get where they were going with the ending. I get that we get to see the aftermath of things, but I feel like, again, the twist and the ending itself do kind of leave too many questions that I think the last, um, it's one of those things where like there's too many questions and it feels like we need more time to sit with it and it's not me sitting with it after it's over it's me requiring you to tell me another season later like what's going on like another like a little bit more in the episode i feel like maybe if the twist was revealed maybe an episode before we might have been able to understand it more but you know i feel like i feel like the twist itself is okay like it's okay but it's also kind of i just don't think it's very I think the twist itself is interesting, but I just don't like it. And also, I feel like the ending could be better. I'm hoping for a season two because I, I, I do think that they're trying to set it up for one. But come on, like next time, just consider ending your show. Like if you're not guaranteed a season two or you don't have an idea for season two, don't don't set up for one because that's not it's ne- it hardly works out when it's like that. But also, I got to say the actors who play the there's English speaking parts in it. I don't think they're very good, the actors who play those parts, but I get because in Korea they tend to have actors who speak English in a certain way um, because they don't use that many subtitles over in uh, North Korea, uh, South Korea, I mean. I don't know, it's complex. I understand why those actors are speaking the way they do, but it just doesn't sound good. I don't know. Overall, Squid Game is a great television series. You really should be watching it. If you haven't seen it, you're missing out. It's number one for a reason. Sure, it has some flaws here and there, but you know. It's a great program overall and great storytelling, writing, acting. Check it out. We'll be back on Flicks and Picks. He's been touched by an angel or two. You know, Roger Ebert, Gene Siskel, maybe even Gene Shalit. Here is Brian Mendoza, Talking Cinema, on Radio 111's Flicks and Picks. James Bond is back on the big screen on um, No Time to Die, and I gotta say, it is one of the better Daniel Craig James Bond movies. Um, I think I think we're at a point where you can tell um, Daniel Craig really, really doesn't want to be James Bond anymore because I saw this commercial right before Venom last week and I know it's kind of on a tangent but you can kind of tell that he doesn't want to do that part anymore and I get it because he's lived with this part for so many years like I think that's the thing about James Bond actors is that they they feel a little bit limited even though strangely enough the role of James Bond has always benefited the actors more so than it has um, hindered them. Like Sean Connery has gotten a pretty decent career out of his role as James Bond, and he was the first one. Sure, George Lazenby, Roger Moore, Timothy Dalton, you know, they, you know, of course they've had their issues trying to do better parts, but I think it's mostly because I think we all agree that with the exception of uh, Roger Moore, that Dalton and Lazenby were the weaker bonds so like maybe it wasn't always like you know like always beneficial for their careers uh roger moore i always felt deserved a better career i know that he had a big career in england 
but I would have liked to have seen a better Hollywood career out of him. And then Pierce Brosnan and Daniel Craig, you know, Pierce Brosnan has actually benefited from James Bond. That's what that's what always confused me is that he they sort of treat the part of James Bond as like something that restrains them or like critics I always hear critics say like you get typecasted as James Bond, but I don't I've never seen this too much like for example Pierce Brosnan was in Dante's Peak which you know it's not a great movie but he's in it and he was in movies like Mamma Mia and the Thomas Crown Affair remake so I mean he he's not like he isn't famous like he is really famous same with Sean Connery and so and I feel like Daniel Craig is on there too because he was in Knives Out and he got a and he's getting a franchise out of that so you know he's the type of guy who's sticking to franchises so I'm intrigued. I'm sort of fascinated by the fact that I see this commercial and he's clearly not interested anymore. But I gotta say, no time to die. He's in it, and I love the fact that he's in it. Like he really does deliver one really great performance as Bond. I've always loved Daniel Craig as James Bond, and in this film, he really does deliver his final uh, swan his swan song performance, which I think is wonderful. So you may be asking, what's this movie about? Um, this new James Bond movie, basically. Bond had left uh, the active service. He had, and he's recruited by the CIA, CIA to basically kidnap uh, to rescue a kidnapped scientist, which leads to a showdown with another villain. So you know it's the tip is somewhat typical James Bond thing. I mean, honestly, for the most part, James Bond um, stories never really were the focal point for me. I've always thought that they were more about the style and the acting, and for the most part the action it's which is ties into style and i think that this is a really stylish wonderful looking movie and the action scenes are a lot of fun and i think that for the most part it is a really fun movie i mean there are times where it does drag on a little bit like i did feel like okay maybe this scene could have been cut just a tiny bit or maybe this action scene might be a little bit too long but then it ends you know like i like that i like the fact that you know even though it does feel like a little bit long sometimes that it, it still kept me entertained like it it never felt <laughs> like I it never felt like I was bored by the whole movie I always I just felt like maybe some scenes I'm like okay guys maybe it's it's time to maybe move on a little bit but it kind of felt like the movie was speaking to me too because it moved on right afterwards but you know still it still felt a little long here and there but overall I think that I really enjoy those action scenes and I think that Daniel, I think this is a good ending for the character, the Daniel Craig's version. I think it's a really strong ending. I know it might divide some people, which I'm, you know, I think it's a it's a big bold risky move, and you know, there's been a lot of discourse on it already. So please avoid spoilers. But let's just say that I think it was a good decision for his version. I think that this is a version of the character that is a little bit more gritty, and so it requires a little bit more grit towards its ending. Uh, I mean, a keyword, a little bit more gritty. I, I wouldn't say like, you know, I would like the next James Bond t to be a little bit more humorous, which is a lot of things I've heard people say, but I'm not sure. Like, I'm not sure if that's a common sentimentality overall, but I've heard a couple people say it. So, you know, I would like to see a different type of bond next time but daniel craig's version of bond is still one of my favorite ones i think it's probably if anything my second favorite one after connery like if any i don't know maybe maybe up there he's up certainly up there with roger moore <laughs> connery and i i think he's better than brosman personally but overall no time to die 
it's a great conclusion to his films. I think it's a good movie overall. I think it's a good movie, but a great conclusion to Daniel Craig's version of Bond. So that's my... If you want to put that on the poster, that's where you can put it. Good movie, great ending for Craig. Because I think that it really is. Um, I do want to say that that overall Daniel Craig's tenure on this franchise has been, in my opinion, a really defining one because like the moment I saw him come on uh, come on to um, Casino Rail, I thought he really blew away blew me away because of how charismatic he was and how he took the role to a new place and I feel like he made the role relevant again and I think that's wonderful and also one final thing no time to die the song Billie Eilish does for the movie please get that an Oscar nomination I thought it was really good and I, and I love the fact that they chose Billie Eilish to do it that's an actual bold risky move and also taking an artist that's actually relevant and doing the song I appreciate that I've seen some bad James Bond songs, but this is one of my favorite ones. But overall, it's a good time. And definitely, if you want to see a fitting conclusion to this character, it's there. Coming up next, we're going to talk about some movie news here on Flicks and Picks. If you love motion pictures, you've made it to the screening room on time. Radio 111 presents Flicks and Picks with Brian Mendoza. The International Alliance of Theatrical uh, Stage Employees is finally going to go on strike, or at least, well, they voted to go on strike. So last, earlier this week, they have finally voted to go on strike, and they have, uh, for the most part, they gave permission. What it means is that they gave permission to the head of it to organize a strike. So there's that. And I know that there's been this sort of conversation about is there going to be a strike? Is it going to actually happen? And I think it is. I actually think it's going to happen because there's been a lot of negotiation issues in the industry and a lot of problems have been going on. And it's I think it's kind of sad. So for the mo- for the most part, just a quick sort of summary, the again, IATSE they want better pay better wages that's you know the obvious thing but they also do not want like 16 hour work days and i understand that completely they do not want that they want to go home and be able to get some rest because the fact is that their 16 hour work days you know that doesn't leave enough time for you to get some sleep you know like people think like oh well you know six there's 24 hours in a day you have plenty of time to sleep no you don't especially considering how exhausting it is to work on a film set and it really is like people think that you know because they weren't considered non-essential that they don't obviously work hard they do you know you see it on the the fact is it's supposed to look easy when it's really not and the fact is that the 16-hour work days also sometimes don't even come with a lunch I've I've also read reports about how some members of the union have never have have rarely gotten lunches lunches during certain productions like there are productions where they're told just work through your lunch and that if anything they would have to get very little breaks like uh, 16 hours for the most part is is a very 
exhausting day like i worked eight hours at like a retail store and i can tell you it's exhausting from my own personal experience and i can and i can tell you that if you don't get a lunch it really makes a big difference and i would not imagine ever working somewhere where they don't provide you a lunch or they give you a break like it that seems utterly ridiculous to me but i think that a lot of times that studios and filmmakers feel the need to rush people through um through a production because they have to meet their deadlines but the fact is that like i feel like deadlines should be a little bit more adjustable like i think for example like if a film runs one day late i don't think it's going to be the worst thing in the world and i feel like people should have some dignity or even set up where you have longer production periods like really and I say this, like, really, I think people should have longer production periods because then we can have more time for people to have lunch and be able to hire more crew members. I think hiring more crew members would actually benefit your film because if you're going to pay people for 16 hour days, I think you can afford to get a couple more people to show up in order for it to be like, you know, a regular eight or 10 hour day. Like I've heard, like, according to these negotiations, they want to get paid better but they also do not want to have to work the 16 hours. And I think that that's actually a really reasonable thing. Like, I feel like if movie studios make a billion dollars or were making a billion dollars before the pandemic, it's not unreasonable to ask them, hey, can you pay your crew members more? The um, IATSE, for those of you who don't know, is a union that comprises like the stagehands slash like crew members, your lighting people, all those people that basically do the technical stuff on the film, the crew members, this is their union. So you have, so the thing is that they're finally going on, they're pretty much saying that the strike, it, 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 it might be days away. The, the union leader has said that, for the union president, Matthew Loeb, said that for him, if the negotiations do not pan out the way they should be panning out, you can go ahead and just assume that they're going to go on strike within the next couple days rather than, you know, weeks. And that's, it's been a long time coming. And I think that the pandemic has also worsened things because the fact is that, you know, people lost their jobs during the pandemic. And a lot of people felt like they were lost their jobs unfairly because the fact is, let's say, let's, let's say you got hired essentially the, a few months before the pandemic like a whole year before the pandemic and you have a whole experience with it but then because of the fact that you were newer you didn't get rehired even though a lot of film productions have certainly certainly um for the most part have resumed mostly the, that it's really difficult to get rehired on set and i think that th that there should be some guaranteed work for some people especially considering that so many films have productions and the union has had a hard time not only employing people but also paying people getting studios to pay them better and uh, it's, it's a shame it's like it's really a shame what's going on because like this actually could delay a lot of films for a long time because the fact is that the writer strike of 2008 really changed a lot of tv shows like lost and ugly betty and a lot of tv shows from that era suffered a lot in their second season because of the writer strike desperate housewives got also suffered too and the reason why i bring up these shows from abc is because those shows are the ones that are often cited as being ruined in their second season because of the writer's strike. So, you know, I can't imagine what this type of strike will do to the industry other than the fact that 
you know, the people, the crew members, if they don't go back to work, you don't get to see your, your movies don't get produced. So, you know, I think Hollywood's really trying to scramble to negotiate and they are starting to talks again today. They are starting to talk again today, but oh boy. And today, just in case you hear this on a rerun is October 9th and if they don't start talking today, they might actually start to lose in the uh, lose production and time. And I think that that's that's kind of going to that's going to be a yikes for me in terms of what the industry goes through. And, I, and I've read an article that said that a lot of people are nervous about the the strike. But this one woman said that she still voted for it because she still felt she said that she was worried about the fact that um that she might lose uh, that she might lose there's this woman i there's this variety article that you should check out that talks about various people's like reasons for why they don't why they voted for a strike and one woman said that you know even though she has a good she feels like the strike is going to probably hurt her chances at a pilot because she has a pilot that's coming up and she feels like she feels good about it she did say that like that the that she does have like migraine issues and there are and she's worried about get losing her insurance hours so she still voted you know like the fact is that she still voted yes because she wanted to guarantee those insurance hours because you know she is somebody that if because she works in the costume department and she works like in in a studio setting that because she gets migraines it might actually be painful for her physically it might not actually be good i personally have a friend with migraines and i could tell you that even being on the computer can be an exhausting thing for her so i can't imagine somebody being physically on set with those types of migraines being it being forced to work like terrible 16 hour work days and and she's scared about losing her insurance hours because of that because those insurance hours are those long hours and i don't think people should be like putting themselves through hell just to be able to guarantee themselves some health care and i feel like that's another issue is there a lot of people are worried about the fact that their so-called insurance hours that they'll lose that they'll lose like uh they'll, they'll lose their insurance hours if they don't if they work a little bit less that they have to basically starve them uh basically work themselves to death in order to not die at the hospital and i don't think that that's great and it's counterintuitive like if you have insurance but your job is exhausting from a physical and mental standpoint you know you're kind of killing yourself a little bit while not trying to get yourself killed so i would suggest you look up this variety article about it's called portraits of the yatsi medical scares and car crashes like it's it's a very good it's a very good discussion about why a good portrait of why people voted yes so if you're not sympathetic and i think that universally speaking most people agree they need to go on strike because a people shouldn't have to starve people shouldn't have to be overworked and people definitely don't have to like uh, definitely don't have to lose their health insurance benefits or be overworked for the movies i think the movie should be a wonderful experience for people to have to not only see but to work at i feel like people get this impression that working at the movies is going to be such an easy time it's not it's not going to be an easy time and we need to do better about it so overall my support goes out to them and i'll give you more updates as they go but i want them i want i just hope that negotiations go the way that they should go which is better pay less hours 
and heck hiring more people and guaranteed a guaranteed health insurance and dental so i just want them to have everything that they possibly would need to be able to live suitable lives because if you work at the movies you know people studios make a billion dollars off of streaming services and off of the box office you know even during the pandemic movies are being made are not making a billion dollars but they're certainly the companies are still making a billion dollars off of streaming so yeah just gonna leave it at that that if studios can still be making some money during the pandemic i have n- there's no reason why you, the union the crew members don't deserve that too so we'll leave it at that but overall i wanted to move on to a another um news story real quick uh victor miller the writer of the friday 13 movies has finally won uh, the appeal to fi- to keep his rights so the copyright termination act basically guaranteed that victor miller who wrote the original screenplay for friday 13 would obtain the u.s dis- domestic rights to the franchise while sean cunningham felt that because victor miller was a um work for hire that he did not have any like copyright obligation towards the Friday 13 characters including Jason Voorhees and because because of the fact that well you know your version of Jason is not the version that people are familiar with but still Victor Miller still felt that you know that character still was created by me and his mythology was created by me so you know there's that and and i'm glad that victor miller has won in this case because it it sort of shows that we can that if you created a work you have every right to be able to obtain the copyright for it and i think it's really great that victor miller has finally re uh, won this lawsuit and i just think it's one of those things where like we where people should get credit for what they wrote and what they deserve and also because this will finally put (laughs) the Friday 13 movies back on track because I know that a lot of people have been talking to me about how they want these movies and now they're not great movies but still the fact is that it guarantees this lawsuit guarantees that a lot of writers will not be pushed around and I'm hoping that people can use this as a basis like hey if Victor Miller got the rights to this character at least these partial rights which is domestic rights then that means that most likely I can try to get the rights back to my characters that I wrote. And I don't have to, like, eat pennies, basically, peanuts, over the fact that, well, I wrote these characters and I only earn a single cent from them. And so I think it's great. And it's not about the money, too. It's sometimes just about the principle of the matter. So I'm glad for Victor Miller, and I hope that EOTC workers really I really hope that negotiations go well and I really hope the strike if anything gets its the the goal accomplished. So there's that. But hey, stay tuned. We're gonna talk about I'm just gonna say it, the Elward Generation Q season two. It ended and it ties into a very, very good, very ambitious casting decision that's been made in Hollywood. It does tie into that. So stay tuned. We're gonna talk about the Elward Generation Q in just a moment. Big screen blockbuster, little screen stream, festival favorites, award show nominees, winners, and the occasional pan. 
This is Flicks and Picks on Radio 111. Here's Brian Mendoza. So the Our Generation Q has finally ended its second season and... You know, occasionally I'll talk about TV shows that air on cable, but this time they did this thing where they they did an interesting, like, almost day and date release thing where you can watch it on cable, but you can also watch it on streaming a couple days before, which, um, I think it's a good decision now. I think that's a good compromise. Like, if you want to get some people watching your network, they'll have you'll have people watching your network, but also, like, if you want your shows to be seen, you'll have them on streaming, which I think is a very smart idea. But in this case, instead of it being simply like, oh, it airs on TV first and then you have to wait a couple days for the streaming version of it, this is a case where, you know, you can watch it on the streaming service separate without any subscription to Showtime. Curious, I'm, I'm, I'm going to see how the ratings go. I think maybe a third season might be, you know, considered, but I'll see how it goes. I've, I've heard the ratings weren't super great, but, you know, that's... You know, they, they were never really great for the L word to begin with. Like, I think from what I've seen, the ratings are a little uh, a little weaker this time around. But I think they're also trying to look at streaming numbers. But we'll see. So the L word Generation Q for the, is a sequel to the original L word, which is a series that followed a group of lesbian women as they navigate love. Uh, lo- pretty much just love and sex in Los Angeles. And L word Generation Q Season 2... Take, uh, picks up where season one left off where all the women are in much more complex difficult relationships than they were in season one but also trying to find some personal happiness like there's a character named bet porter who finally has to accept the fact that her ex-wife tina is going to get married to someone else and they were the main couple of the original series so this is sort of like one of those tv shows that finally takes the original series and its problems and takes them somewhere natural like i remember when i saw the original l word i always wondered why bet tina went back to bet even though T- Bet would always break up with her. And you have other characters like Alice Piazeki, who is a talk show host who's finally got her book out and is dealing with her own bisexuality, trying to figure out, can she date a man? We'll have to see. And then you got Danny Nunez, who has to deal with her father's like um, crimes and her own relationship with this woman named Gigi, who is a woman who you know is very outspoken but also wants to find love in her own way it's Gigi's kind of a hard character to define but i like her like i don't know i, I like her and then there's also uh sophie and sophie danny have again have their own love triangle with finley and finley and sophie are trying to navigate their own relationship problems after basically finley ruins sophie's wedding and there's micah who is a character that nothing happens to and nobody cares about right now <laughs> but i'm just kidding i think my, micah's relationship with this um with um sophie's sister maribel is it's a cute story i just think that the writers clearly don't know what to do with that storyline other than the fact that it is very cute um if i had more time on this show i would definitely say that i understand why micah's written with kid gloves but you know because Micah's the only trans male character on the show, so I can see why they wrote with kid gloves because of the fact that the original L word, quite frankly, wasn't great with trans representation. I get it, but it's still 
still not great and then finally uh shane is in a relationship with a is navigating her own relationship with a woman named tess played by jamie clayton who just to tie into that casting decision is going to be playing pinhead in the upcoming hellraiser movie and i think that's a great casting decision very ambitious and try something new and i love the fact that jamie clayton who is not only an outspoken actress outspoken trans activist gets to have a big part in hellraiser and she deserves a great movie but we'll leave it at that overall generation q I still think they have some problems in terms of the writing. I feel like the character of Sarah Finley is really a very weak character. And I feel like the actress Jacqueline Tobani really, really doesn't know how to play like alcoholic very well. So I feel like because they put so much focus on that storyline that it's a little bothersome to me because I feel like if you can't play, I feel like if you can't play an alcoholic well in film, it really hurts when you try to take on a serious issue like that. Like I, I kind of hate it when I see a show where alcoholism is depicted and they have someone slurring and that's the only thing about it. When actually alcoholism is a little bit more, you know, you can literally have someone functioning right now and they're being alcoholic and, and you don't have to have them slurring all the time. It could be subtle, but she puts on almost like this over the top performance. And I feel like, again, the writers don't know what to do with it because they didn't build it up really well because in the first season you just see her messing up, but you never thought she was an alcoholic or they at least didn't establish it well enough for the audience to pick up on that. And in this season, when I was watching it, I felt like they had these moments where it just came out of nowhere. Like they never build up to it. Like, I still don't really know why she just suddenly became an alcoholic halfway through the season because I feel like, again, you got to throw hints to the audience and build up to it. And overall, I think that it kind of hurts this season. But you know what? It is a better season than most seasons of the L- of the original L Word. So I'm glad that the L Word Generation Q, you know, has a good second season. I'm hoping to see season three and see where it goes. And also good luck to Jamie Clayton for picking up the part of Pinhead on Hellraiser. It's been nice on here on Flicks and Picks, and just to reiterate, go watch Squid Game. It is the number one show on in the world for a reason. Uh, the new James Bond movie is fine. Good conclusion to that, to Daniel Craig's um, tenure as Bond. Over and the L Word Generation Q. You know, if you're an L Word fan, it's a good solid second season of this series. Stay tuned for next week. We'll talk about plenty of movie news and the movies here on Flicks and Picks on Radio 111.